Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg as always, and I hope everyone had an excellent Thanksgiving. I hope you had, uh, if you wanted to, spend some time with the family. And I hope you got to eat some good food, maybe make some good food, and hopefully you had a good time. Uh, and if you went shopping, hopefully you got some good deals. Uh, hopefully you had a... Um, you know, hopefully you went to your favorite stores, maybe supported some small businesses on Saturday. Uh, today's podcast can be a little shorter probably than usual because just quite frankly, I am exhausted from the weekend. And uh, no, you aren't incorrect. This is going up on a Monday. So it is a little bit earlier today. Uh, the schedule's in disarray after such a busy weekend and our staff and every, uh, staffing and everything. So, um, but uh, to, to touch on that real quick, our, our Black Friday. So we, what we do is um, we double dip. So we've got our Black Friday sales, and then we also do Small Business Saturday. So Small Business Saturday was a like a promotional thing that started. I believe American Express actually started it, and they started it as a way to promote small businesses because in, on Black Friday, like all the emphasis is on your WalMarts, Targets, Amazon, Best Buys, uh, and and they wanted to emphasize small business, and so uh, and also because they like to. They're trying to make a push to get more small businesses to accept American Express since it usually has higher fees associated with it. So it's not like it's all just out of the goodness of their hearts. Uh, but so they've made this move for quite a few years now. I'd have to say probably 10 years or so they've been trying to push this small business Saturday. But it's it's gaining traction. It's great. So we double dip, though, because, you know, Black Friday is what has the marketing push. It's what everybody knows of. So we do Black Friday and Small Business Saturday. And... Uh, while I don't certainly open up my books 100% uh, to the audience and everything here, what I would say is last year we did a number over both days that was about comparable to our busiest days that we've ever had. Like our, our best day, one day of sales ever was set during our anniversary sale last year. It was a certain number. The Black Friday after that, we didn't even do as much as that one day in the two days of Black Friday and Small Business Saturday. So just to kind of put it into perspective. And then this year... We did almost double what we did Black Friday last year, which over the course of the two days, compared to the one-day sale that is our all-time record, we crushed it. The, the, just Friday alone was almost exactly the same as that one day, and then Saturday we hit another home run. So it was just an incredible sales day, and anybody who's listening to this that came into the store, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. It was unbelievable. And I hope that if you were in the store, it wasn't too unbearable for you because I know it gets really crazy in there. We're a small store, obviously, so packing that many people in uh, can be a real headache. But as always, uh, I appreciate any support and, and everything. And, and if you've never been to the store and you're in the Wisconsin area, uh, please check it out. I'd love, I'd love to have you come to the store sometime and, and make sure you introduce yourself and say you heard me on the podcast, especially if you come from far away, uh, because I'd love to, I'd love to meet you. And then I'd love to, uh, give you a discount on something for, uh, for saying you watch. Um, but it was, it was an incredible one. It, it, I, th I, I don't know how other stores are going to comp, but I doubt many Walmarts and Best Buys are going to be comping, you know, plus 50 or 60 percent <laughs> i mean i just really i i don't see i don't see that happening in a lot of stores especially with the advent of online getting bigger and bigger uh but and especially and that's the thing with black friday that's so weird is i mean most of the deals if you want to go online started on tuesday and wednesday i don't even think i bought anything on thursday i think i had it all bought by wednesday and so it's really easy to get things on, on a deal if, if you want to now um I don't want to be hypocritical, <laughs> but this is going to sound very hypocritical, but this is something you have to remember. Now, I know I did my video last week and on the podcast last week, I talked about GameStop and I talked about how they were opening at 
3 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day and how I thought that I don't like that idea. And I, I would never open that day being a business owner and, and knowing my staff and, and then wanting to spend time with their family. But it was eye-opening to me on how many people don't feel the same way as me. As far as, you know, like employees of the company, whether it was a manager who wanted to make sure he hit his sales numbers or if it was employees who don't have a lot of family and they'll take the time and a half pay. It's like, that makes sense to me, you know? And, and, and uh, so, you know, I, I'm not trying to shoot down and say that all retail shopping is bad in that day because you also have to think of, you know, e even myself, right? So I was saying, I don't, I don't like it. I would never do it. Now I'm not saying that I shouldn't say, it. I'm not saying I would never shop on that day. In fact, I would. Um, my, my more comment about that video was I was trying to say that GameStop was blaming it on the employees as the reason for why they were doing it. It's like, just own it, you know, just say it, just say, it's like, Hey, we, we can't compete if we don't open on Thursday. I mean, yeah, I can respect that. I respect that more than trying to look like a good guy and saying, well, our employees really wanted to, so we did it for them, <laughs> you know? Um, but here's the thing. If you buy games early at Best Buy or Amazon on Tuesday or Wednesday, I mean, I don't know what the rules are, but I'd assume that they're probably in the warehouse on Thursday. Amazon, for sure. Best Buy, they might be closed on Thursday in the warehouse, like for shipping and things. I don't know, though. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me with this many orders coming through. They'd have to have. I mean, they're going to have a ton of stuff going out. So uh, maybe they're off Thursday, but maybe they have to come in and work double time, too. You know, we don't know. Um, so anyway, not trying to sound hypocritical there because I did buy some stuff on the days leading up to Thanksgiving Day. But even if you support companies those days you're still making more work for people on the holidays. So my, I think my point there is just if you're going to boycott Black Friday, you can't buy anything for like the two weeks around it. Um, and if you do boycott Black Friday, that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that either. Um, I think Black Friday is a neat marketing ploy. I just never liked the idea of it completely leaking over into Thanksgiving. And, you know, when everyone started opening at midnight on Friday, I was like, you know, I don't really love this, but I get it. Um, I think, but now that we're creeping into Thanksgiving day, now it's 3 p.m. I mean, what's it going to be next year? Is going to be noon on Thanksgiving? And then the year before that, is it just going to be, is 6 a.m. on Thanksgiving? You know, I mean, wh where does it go, I guess? Slippery slope and all that. But uh, anyway, there were some great deals going on. Obviously, one of the top deals of the whole Black Friday was uh, the PlayStation 4 Spider-Man bundle. Uh, you got Spider-Man and a PlayStation 4 one terabyte slim for $199.99. It's an incredible deal. Uh, and, and I from what I, what I early, early reports from managers and, and store leaders that I knew at GameStop and friends I had that work at Best Buy was that the Xboxes didn't even come close to selling out. Their bundle was Minecraft bundle for 199. And I think there was an NBA 2K19 bundle for that same, is it 219 or 18, whatever year the NBA is on. And, uh, and their bundle was something like uh, 199. Whoops. Turn that off. Um, and then, uh, and I, my, my hearing was that the PlayStation 4s were sold out within minutes, uh, up until like an hour or two into being open. They were all gone. Best Buy had like a pallet just on the sales floor and they were gone in an hour or two and the Xboxes were still there. So again, this isn't like a Sony bashing Microsoft thing, but it definitely just shows that that bundle with Spider-Man at that price was just an incredible deal and it drove more people to buy that product. So, you know, the Sony made a great choice, obviously a, a loss, at that skew on that price, that's a loss category for them, but it just planted the seed and it got in there. Uh, also, probably my favorite deal is that they always do like PlayStation Plus. They were doing it for $40 a year, uh, which they also were doing on the PlayStation Store. So I always get two years of that at a time and I just stack them up. So assuming, I'm just safely assuming, I think that we'll be able to use that and carry that over to the next generation. 
Um, however, with that being said, let's let's get this podcast started so I can get it over with. <laughs> I can enjoy some of my first day off in many, many days, not counting Thanksgiving, because you know how it is when you spend it with your family. It's not always a day off. <clears throat> so, And you don't get to game anyway. You're on the road driving a whole bunch and whatever. So to begin, what we want to talk about first is Billy Mitchell. <laughs> so I haven't done a Billy Mitchell video in quite many months, uh, mostly by choice. Uh, there were a lot of little things I could have done a quick video here and there on, but you know, it's a topic that gets really played out, and a lot of people use it for easy likes, easy views, and easy follows, and I'm not trying to do that. But I do try to report on all things that I find are substantial when it comes to video game news. And so when something substantial comes up and it, and it belongs to Billy Mitchell, then I say, let's do it. And I say, let's talk about it. So what we're talking about today is that Billy Mitchell has beaten the 1,050,000, I mean, pretty much beaten, roughly he tied the score that he had that he was accused of faking and uh, was removed from the Twin Galaxies if, uh, leaderboard. So if you don't remember, I'll do a quick recap. So around the beginning of the year, it started coming out. There were rumors that Billy Mitchell had played on not official hardware. Now, yes, I think you could argue that's cheating, but I think the point was more so, and that was the headline, you know, grabbing at the time. Uh, was it cheating? Um, according to the rules, yes, because you had to play on original hardware. But the idea was that he still got those scores, just not on an actual arcade board. It was on MAME, an arcade emulator. And so, uh, obviously, there was all this back and forth. Billy was saying he was innocent. There were videos. There was all this other stuff. Then there was uh, Billy brought in an expert to, to look at the tapes. And then they looked at the tapes. And even his own expert said, I conclude that this was played on MAME. And then Twin Galaxies, they also reviewed the same sort of thing. They came to the same conclusion. And so then they banned him. They banned uh, Billy Mitchell from all future score submissions to Twin Galaxies. And that was the end of it. He was he was done. And I remember around April, he, uh, Billy Mitchell was at the Midwest Gaming Classic. And he had said that he, you know, that, that this is not true, that proof will come out. You know, we can't talk about it right now, but there will be proof. And so then that was kind of the end of it. And I, as far as I'm concerned, I didn't see any proof. I, I didn't see anything else come out except for this slow creep of, hey, now I'm on Twitter more actively. Hey, now I'm on Twitch. Hey, now I'm live streaming this. Hey, I've gotten this score. I've gotten this score. And so he, a few months, was it a few months ago, maybe six months ago, he passed the million mark live on Twitch on actual hardware. Okay. So he's he's basically back. And, and the, the quote was something like, out of retirement, I think it was down here. I'm on his Twitter page right now. This is what I'm kind of showing you because part of what I want to talk about isn't necessarily this just happened, but I want to talk about his reaction a little bit. And I want to, I want to bring up, um, I don't know. I, I just like, it just, it just feels so strange to me how he's forging his comeback, I guess. And so as we look down here, um, let's see, uh, there's just some really like arrogant replies. And I think that's what kind of turns me off a little bit uh, to what he's got going on here. And again, if you're getting attacked all the time, I could see where if you feel justified, you're going to come back um, and you're going to want to come back a little sharp. And I get that. But I think there's a right way and a wrong way to do that now. So anyway, it was a few months ago. I can't find it doesn't matter um, that he passed that million points, which was a big deal. Obviously, if you remember the King of Kong uh, video that he was in, that was a big deal breaking a million. So the big deal here is that he tied his 1,050,000 score, almost tied it. And so this is the score that was removed by Twin Galaxies for being considered uh, a cheated 
score. And so he he come. This is his uh, is his comeback here. The original. Let's see here. I've now matched both of the scores that were supposedly quote unquote investigated. I'm just not sure what these haters will say at this point. Haters will see you walk on water and say it's because you can't swim. Well, first of all, I've never heard that before, but that's an obvious Jesus comparison. And the Billy Mitchell Jesus God complex thing going on is very, very off-putting to me. I mean, it's just kind of ridiculous. Now, so, so that's a big deal though. Okay, I'm going to be honest, like this is a big deal that that was his score that everyone thought was fake. That was his high score that got removed. It is now he has proven that he can get that score on legitimate hardware. Now, I don't think anybody and, and this there is a little bit of this you have to throw in, right? He garners a lot of hate, mostly because of his attitude, but also because of the movie The King of Kong. In that movie, he was portrayed to be a villain. I've said this many times and I get a lot of flack for this. I'm sorry, just the way it is, is that that movie portrayed him to be more of a villain than he actually is. Now I'll argue that he likes that role. He likes to be portrayed in this like eighties, like action movie villain role. Like he, he embraced that, I believe um, because he, he likes to do things a certain way. I think he's, he's a little pretentious that way. And he's a little, he's a little odd that way. And that's fine. No problem. We're all a little weird, you know, you dig. Um, so, so that movie was, was um, an, an, an exaggeration okay just to say the least like that movie is an exaggeration of his character but i don't think it was i don't think it was made up <laughs> it was just they took it they put a spotlight on it and they blew it up so with that being said he obviously doesn't need a lot of help in that since he does a lot of that himself but i don't think the problem was necessarily and this, this is what i was getting to is that he has a lot of people that hate him uh, oddly so in fact now again he's got a personality that sometimes rubs people the wrong way when you have that, you're going to have people that just don't like you because you rub them the wrong way. Um, also, that tied in with a movie that made you look like a bad guy. All that sort of stuff makes you look like a villain. Well, a villain's going to get a lot of hate. And a lot of people just say things like, he's a cheater, he sucks, he's the worst, he's a liar, he's a cheater. It's like, okay, I'm not, I, I'm not saying any of this stuff may not be true. I'm just saying that Billy Mitchell was never like a bad gamer that cheated to be good, right? So he uh, he can do the things he claims he can do. You know, he can get the scores that he claims he can get. Does that make his original score valid? No, not if they came to the conclusion that it was played on not official hardware. And, and, then, and then if he actively participated in that and he gets accused of cheating and it's cheating and then he's out. But that doesn't mean that he's not talented, right and, and as far as donkey kong is concerned and i think that's where people can't make this connection like they feel if he if he got caught cheating then he's not good and it's, it's like it's like a baseball player who's really good and then takes steroids and he's just a little bit better um so yeah billy mitchell who's already a good player was trying to break this record maybe he did it on Mame. maybe he didn't he he still refutes that right and and now the argument unfortunately so now it gets more complicated because if you look down the uh, the argument now is that the tapes. Let's see here. Um, so there's these tapes. I want to talk about this because this is this is a weird one, right? So you should do uh, here. The problem in the past, you were confirmed to be playing on an emulator and or edited footage. Can you explain why now that you have shown you can do it for real? You should do more research. This is Billy Mitchell's response. You should do more research. The tapes they evaluated were not the tapes I gave them. They were tapes given to them by a guy who owned a website called. 
fbillymitchell.com. The tapes I gave them were lost over 10 years ago, so they reached out to random people who claimed it was mine, a claim, and there was nothing more to prove it. Um, so that's what he's saying kind of in regards to people questioning, what are you going to say to people now that you've actually done it? And so now it, it, it's not that the tapes that were evaluated were fake. Those are real tapes, and that is me. He's admitting to that. But now those tapes aren't the tapes he submitted. Somebody else faked these tapes. And apparently there's a website. You know what? I'm going to... I'm going <laughs> to... Let's just go here. Let's go to this website real quick. I should. Uh, yeah, it doesn't exist. Okay, shocker. <clears throat> um, but anyway, so that that's the new argument though, is that those tapes that were evaluated are accurate, but they weren't his tapes. Someone faked those tapes and sent them in after they went looking for proof against him. So I still want to say him getting this is a, a huge milestone for him, and congratulations to him. If it makes him happy and he's on his rise and his claim to fame, good. Good, Billy Mitchell. I'm, I'm happy for you, man. If you're happy and, and, and people enjoy watching him, there's a lot of, he has a lot of fans. Uh, good. I'm, I'm happy for that. I don't, I, I, there's no reason to tear him down, especially after legitimately doing it. I think him attacking people, though, that are questioning his other scores that were legitimately removed, eh, you know, I, I think he could do better than that. And I think those people have every right to be skeptical um, of, of what he's doing now. Um, and just to put this a little bit into perspective, the current Donkey Kong world record, yeah, I used Google, don't hate me. The current world record of 1,247,000 was set by Robbie Lakeman. So if you look at, Billy was doing 1,050,000 right here. So, I mean, he's not even close to the world record here. So really though, what's, to him, what's important is that he was able to do the record that was the one that was removed for him playing on not official hardware. So if you don't like Bill Mitchell, and that's fine, I think it's still impressive. And I still think it's safe to say he's a very good arcade gamer. Very, very good at Donkey Kong. One of the best in the world at Donkey Kong. Not the best. Does not hold the highest score, but he's one of the best. Give him props. No problem. Or don't. I don't care. <laughs> you don't like him. I really care less. <laughs> but on the flip side of that, if you like Billy Mitchell, this is not a reason to say that there's no way that he didn't pl that he played on MAME before. I think it is totally possible that he played on MAME, set a high score, got caught, and then said, you know what, I'm going to build this reputation back. And I'm going to come back out, I'm going to start doing live streams. Because to do that score on MAME is still hard. It's not like it's not like I could just pick up Donkey Kong on MAME tomorrow and be like, oh, look how easy it is, I just got 1.2 million. Like, no, of course not. I, I couldn't do that. And I personally don't like Donkey Kong at all, but, <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't do that. So he has talent. You have to recognize that. But the people who are now saying that because he got this score completely validates everything. I also think that's very inaccurate. And I think you have to just be really careful when you don't ever criticize anything that you enjoy, whether it's a product, whether it's a media, or whether it's a celebrity. And if you like him, cool. And if you want to believe him, cool. It's just... Do your own homework. Make your own decision. That's all I ask. And if you do your own homework and you come to this conclusion on your own, cool, no problem. We'll agree to disagree, and, and, I, and I still hope you have a good day. Um, and <laughs> so I, he was at Midwest Gaming Classic last year, and I think he'll probably, or this year, and I'll say he probably will be there next year. Maybe I'll finally be able to, uh, to meet him and ask him a few questions. If he wants to talk to me, I doubt he will, <laughs> if he remembers who I am. He probably won't by that point. 
Um, but I want to get a little weird here, okay? So this is the tinfoil hat. Everyone get your tinfoil hats on. We're going, we're going deep. <clears throat> what, if I told, what if I told you that all of this Billy Mitchell controversy was fabricated so that he could rise again and be popular once again? Yes, I think that's a possibility. <laughs> I think it would not be that much of a stretch for Twin Galaxies to have had a conversation. So Jace Hall have a conversation with Billy Mitchell and say, you know what? We need to do something to kind of bring back all of this like like after king of kong we're at all-time popularity we're losing ground uh you know all this other stuff what what can we do and i could see billy mitchell going you know what you accuse me of cheating i'm gonna deny it but accuse me of cheating <laughs> again tinfoil hats people bear with me accuse me of cheating i'll deny it and then eventually you'll remove me because we'll find some proof and then and then i'll start doing my live streams and i'll come back and i'll come back and beat those scores and then that way, we're all in the news. We're kind of bringing ourselves back. That, to me, is could be one of the most Billy Mitchell things that would ever, ever exist. It's not that far-fetched for people to say, you know what, let's, let's, it's a media kick. You know, let's, let's get this on. I mean, they're still doing the Kong-offs. March 15th through the 17th is Kong-off 7. So they're always advertising these. Like, they're trying to stay relevant. And the last I heard, I thought they were doing, like, a sequel to the movie or they're looking into making a, another King of Kong movie. So, there you have it. You can take your tinfoil hats off now. <clears throat> no one's listening in on our thoughts anymore. But I think that's very realistic. I think it's possible. I think a lot of this could be drummed up. Um, is it? Eh, who knows? Will we ever know? Eh, who cares? Who knows? Who cares? Um, but again, I haven't done a Billy Mitchell video in a while. <laughs> and I didn't really want to do one. And I always get weird with these videos because it's I, the way I talk about these things, the way I ride this this news is like kind of right in the middle, you know, and I try to look at both sides and the people who are a part of this story, the people who take this very seriously, they are right here and they are right here. There is no room in the middle for any of it. And so when you're in the middle, you essentially get hated on by everybody. <laughs> and, uh, and that's fine. <laughs> and I'll take it. No problem. But just think about it. You know, think about the possibilities. And that doesn't mean you can't enjoy it along the ride. It, means it doesn't mean you can't watch a video. You can't listen to this podcast. You can't enjoy the, the fun of it, right? It doesn't mean you can't get swooped up in the drama and have a little bit of fun with it. But just think about that when you're arguing with someone online or you're trying to make a point. Really, what is the point? Uh, and it's really not much else except for him to get his name out there and to, to rise up again and to feel confident and to, to be able to get his name and, and stay relevant after all these years. So then, after the Donkey Kong story, let's see what we're going to talk about a little bit here. Um, so I want to go over an article on Kotaku that Jason Schreier did. I, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. <clears throat> All right, let me back this up real quick. So the next, I want to talk about this Diablo story. The past, the present, the future of Diablo. This is a Kotaku article written by Jason Schreier, who, if you haven't heard me talk about him before, I enjoy his articles quite a bit. Um, even though in his profile picture here, he's like not even in the middle of the picture, but it's okay, Jason, we're not hating on you. He does some of the best investigative, um, like story based news I've seen. If there's anyone that I would call a game journalist, it would probably would be him. I feel like he cites sources. He, um, you know, he does due diligence and it takes him months to get a story out. He's talked, he's done a lot of stories about 
the toxic work at um, at Riot. He did stories on um, obviously Diablo here, Blizzard. He did stories on um, the Rockstar. Uh, staff uh, when they were talking about the Red Dead 2 Redemption, Red Dead Redemption 2 Crunch, and all that other stuff. But what I found really interesting about this article, so this is, like I said, it's the past, present, and future of Diablo. Because if you remember a couple weeks ago, BlizzCon, they made an announcement for Diablo Immortal, which ends up being um, totally flops as an announcement. We don't know if the game will flop yet because it hasn't come out yet, but it flopped as an announcement because you're at a convention where uh, your entire company's history has been built up on its strength of its PC backbone. And not that the games haven't come out on consoles, but your PC is, is your, your main audience. And so when you your, your main Diablo announcement there is a mobile game, you're going to piss people off. And whether the people's response to it was fair or not, it was a poor announcement. It just wasn't a good look for them. And so he left you questioning. And of course... The people that were sticking up for Blizzard were saying things like, you know Diablo 4 is being made. You know it. You know Diablo 4 is coming. You know it's coming 100%. Just, just because they don't say it doesn't mean it's not coming. And then you're the other side saying, yeah, but if it is coming, I may not, you know, is it going to be a game I want to play? What, what's it going to be like? Is it going to have microtransactions? Always online like they tried doing Diablo 3 right out of the gate. Is it going to have an auction house like Diablo 3? Diablo 3 launched with a lot of issues and a lot of things that they changed and turned it into a excellent game but before that it had issues so it's it's fair i think for fans to be a little skeptical of blizzard and with an announcement like that that doesn't help quell that you know they didn't they didn't go out of their way to make the consumer feel comfortable with the diablo franchise let's just say it like that so there's blame on, there, there's a lot of blame on blizzard there to not to, to have done it the right way so what I want to say about this, though, and this this was interesting, interesting article, and he talks a lot about here about, oh, you know, there's quotes saying that, um, oh, Activision Blizzard says it's, uh, you know, they give their developers as much time as they want. Blizzard's kind of like the, the golden child, you know, they can do whatever they want. Uh, they get as much time as they want. They're left alone for the most part. They're not forced to do things that they don't want to do. But he talked about this. There were some interesting story tidbits in here about Diablo 4 and about the Diablo 4 that was the Diablo 3 expansion pack that was, that never came out, and other things. And so I'm going to kind of go through this, and this is, just go read the article if you want, but I'm giving all credit to Schreier. He did all the work. I'm just reading this and going through this with you and kind of giving my thoughts on a few things. But I want to read through this. So this is the article, Jason Schreier, Kotaku. In late 2013, or perhaps early 2014, not long before the release of Reaper of Souls, Blizzard made an internal announcement that shocked the development team. Diablo 3's second expansion was canceled. Team 3, the Blizzard department responsible for Diablo, hadn't done a ton of work on this second expansion. They were mostly focused on Reaper, but it was planned as their next project, and now it wasn't happening. Quote, what they told the team was, You finished Reaper of Souls, it's really good, but we think the best thing for the IP is to move to Diablo 4 in whatever form that'll be. The overall sense on the team, at least my impression, was that there was a vote of no confidence from the executives. They thought Diablo 3 was a giant F-up. Had Diablo 3 really been given a giant (laughs) F-up? Sure, the highly anticipated action RPG had launched in May of 2012 to immediate catastrophe as fans across the world tried to open the game and found themselves unable to play thanks to the dreaded Error 37. A warning turned meme that popped up every time the game was inaccessible. There were other problems too, like the brutal difficulty spike and the real money auction house which allowed players to buy and sell loot for cash, skewing Diablo 3's item balance. 
Throughout 2012 and 2013, Blizzard's Team 3 addressed many of these issues, overhauling the difficulty system and removing the auction house. Diablo 3 evolved into a beloved game, and with Reaper of Souls, which came out in March 2014, the team turned it into one of the most critically acclaimed action RPGs out there. Why, then, would Blizzard cancel the second one? Quote, a lot of people felt stunned by it, said the person who was there. I think a lot of them felt like we made mistakes with Diablo 3, but we learned and we got and we made Reaper to show what we could do. We have fixed it and Reaper's really good. I think a lot of people felt like we'd figured out and we knew how to do this. And expansion 2, whatever it would have been, would have been the highest expression of that. To have them pull the plug without really seeing how Reaper did really stung. He goes on to say, uh, it's still not clear why Blizzard wouldn't want to support a game that had been so commercially successful, but the theory on Team 3, so this is just the theory that the developers came up with, is that Blizzard's management had lost faith in Diablo 3 and saw it as a failure even before Reaper launched. The perception overall was that, that management thought the team really screwed up, said one person who was there. They could have held off a few months and seen how Reaper did, but in their mind, Diablo 3 was irredeemable. When Reaper launched on PC in late March 2014, Blizzard said it sold 2.7 million copies in its first week. A big number, but only a fraction of the 15 million copies that Diablo had sold across PC and console. When asked, Blizzard did not address the cancellation of this expansion, but as part of a broader statement spoke about cancellations in general. As far as game cancellations, we see that as a strength, a reflection of our commitment to quality and how we've always operated. The spokesperson said, historically, we've launched about 50% of the total projects we've worked on over the past three decades. There are ones we consider representative of Blizzard quality, or those are the ones we consider representative of Blizzard quality. Not shipping a game is never an easy decision to make, but has always been the right decision for us. Canceling Titan led us to Overwatch, and as another example, canceling Nomad led us to World of Warcraft. So real quick before I go on there, I do agree with that sentiment. Like The games that were canceled by Blizzard typically weren't up to their standard of quality, and I do like where their head is at with something like that. If they don't think it's going to be good, they don't just push on. They stop and they kind of refocus. Uh, I remember I, I played StarCraft Ghost actually um, at a manager conference for GameStop years and years and years ago. I remember walking up to the Blizzard area and there were eight Xboxes linked together, four on four, and with StarCraft Ghost. And I thought, oh my God, this is going to be incredible. Yet there wasn't a single person playing it. And I remember thinking that was really strange at the time. And I sat down and I played it. And if you've ever played a game called Command & Conquer Renegade for PC... Renegade was fun, and it was a Command & Conquer game, but you, it was a first-person shooter in the Command & Conquer universe. So imagine being the perspective of the little guy in the ground instead of being the eye in the sky. Well, that's kind of like what this felt like. This felt like a, a generic third-person shooter where you could pick like a Firebat or a Zergling, or a, not a Zergling, but a Mutalisk or a Hydralisk, and uh, you ran around with them. And I remember looking up, and I saw, saw a big battle cruiser flying overhead. And I thought that was so cool. And I thought, this is really, really neat. But then when you play the game, it was just very generic. And everyone knows, StarCraft Ghost went through development hell. It changed developers probably two or three times, if not more. Uh, and it just wasn't shaping up to be good. And so they just, they didn't make it. They canceled it. And and a lot of people think, you know, that when it canceled, like the, the, the lost opportunity of a canceled game it's like do you know why it got canceled like 99% of the time when a game's canceled is because it's not good it's not it's so like to, to look at the potential of a game that got canceled I mean it's kind of hard to do that when there's a reason why it got canceled very rarely does a game get canceled that's really great and doesn't get picked up somewhere else um, look at a game like Dark Watch originally um, was supposed to come out never ended up coming out. Capcom saved that game and published it at the end and Dark Watch was excellent um, 
Red Dead uh, Red Dead Revolver uh, was originally, I think, a Capcom game. And then I want to say that they were going to drop it, and then Rockstar picked it up, uh, which technically is Take Two or whatever. So anyway, good games find a way through is all I'm trying to say there. <clears throat> but I'm going to uh, continue on because they start talking about how in March of 2014, as fans celebrated the return of Diablo 3 with the triumphant Reaper of Souls, Team 3 was splitting up. Some developers left the company, others moved to different projects like World of Warcraft or Overwatch. Some snuck around to work on patches for Diablo 3, but Team 3 was no longer in full swing. At that point, they had the strongest Diablo development team ever. They scattered them all to the wind said one person who worked on Reaper Souls. To those developers, it was a baffling move by Blizzard's management. Giving the team more time to see how Reaper performed and how the second expansion was shaping up would have been much more Blizzard-like, they said. Those who remained on Team 3 began talking about what Diablo 4 might look like. Josh Mosquera, the Canadian transplant who had started on the Diablo 3 console team just before taking the franchise's reins as director of Reaper of Souls, would lead development on the new project, which was codenamed Hades. This gets really interesting, by the way. This is where they start talking about the early stages of Diablo 4. The goal was to take the franchise in a very different direction. Uh, Mosquera and team designed Hades as a Diablo take on Dark Souls. For the podcast listeners, that was a face plant. <clears throat> um, according to three people familiar with the project, it would be a gothic, challenging dungeon crawler rather than maintain the isometric camera angle of the first three Diablo games. It would use an over-the-shoulder third-person perspective in which uh, it was such a departure from previous games, Summit Blizzard thought they might not even end up calling it Diablo 4. From 2014 until 2016, it was Team 3's main project developed alongside a handful of patches and light content updates for Diablo 3. Then, like Diablo 3's second expansion before it, Hades was cancelled. As with any cancellation, there were likely many reasons for the move, but two people involved with Hades said it was going through rocky development. Quote, it was not shaping up at all. End quote, said one. In the middle of 2016, Mosquera left Blizzard. It's not, queer, it's not clear whether Mosquera left because of Hades' cancellation or if Hades was, uh, was cancelled because he left. But what's certain is that at that point, the project was shelved, and when reached by Kotaku, Mascara declined to comment on this story. In the coming months, Blizzard's Team 3 would do two things. The developers who needed something to work on now that Hades was no more put together downloadable content for Diablo 3 called Rise of the Necromancer, a character class add-on that the team hoped would satiate fans who were desperate for more Diablo, and some of them started working on a project codenamed Fenris. Fenris is, all of our sources have confirmed, the current incarnation of Diablo 4. Blizzard's Team 3 has been working on this version of the game since 2016, and some say that, and, and some who have seen it say they're optimistic for the direction. Uh, design director Luis uh, Bariga has a very strong vision for the game, said a former employee, one that a lot of people are excited about at Blizzard. Uh, and so they go on to say a little bit about the art direction. Um, so many studios use what they call pillars or mantras that help define the game's goals so that everyone on the team is on the same page. For Fenris, one of those pillars is simple. Embrace the darkness. And so that's him talking about they want the game to look more like Diablo 2. Get away from the cartoony Diablo 3. Uh, make it uh, what people were af like afraid of Diablo 2, but modern. Fenris is still in early development and likely won't be out until 2020 or later. So it's safe to say that many decisions made by the team today will change over time. We don't know if it's PC first or planned for PC and consoles. And in fact, the team may have not yet made that decision. One ongoing conversation, for example, has been whether to keep the isometric camera angle or use the over-the-shoulder third-person view that was prototyped for Hades. Recent builds of the game have been isometric, like previous Diablo games, according to three people 
people familiar with the project, but questions remain over whether that should change. Uh, and then here, another pillar of Fenris is to make Diablo more social, taking inspiration from Destiny to add what one current Blizzard developer called light MMO elements, further drawing on Blizzard's past massively multiplayer online success. Previous Diablo games have featured hub cities full of computer controlled quest givers and vendors. Imagine that while exploring those hubs, you can meet and group up, uh, group up with other players. So that all sounds fine. Quote, the question that kept getting asked is, if there's going to be a strike equivalent, where you're forced into a very story-focused, well-designed level of a dungeon, what does that look like in Diablo? So they're, they're looking to maybe look at Diablo's and World of Warcraft's instances where you could go in and, and do things like that. So it seems like the new Diablo is shifting to almost sort of like a pseudo-MMO. Um, and they go on, there's more stuff to talk about, and there's more that they, they list here. Um, but I think that... Again, it, it makes you understand why they may not have had anything to show about Diablo 4. But much like Bethesda did <laughs> when they announced all their new wacky projects in their online Fallout 76, they just said, oh, and don't forget. And they just had the, the words Elder Scrolls 6. And everyone lost their minds. <laughs> like It's so stupid. Everyone lost their minds because they announced it. All, the, all they had to do at the end was have something like a candle flickering, have it, you know, and then all of a sudden like a book shuts. And then you just see like Diablo four, <laughs> like I could have made that. I could have made that in a, in, in, in 3ds max and, and, um, after effects, I could have done that for you blizzard. So call me up. I got you. Uh, but when I read all these things about the future of Diablo, I'm not too worried about it. I think that that is the natural evolution of games is more social aspects. You know, I think that's fine. I mean, Diablo was one of the first, like one of the first, Okay, actually, hold on, I gotta back that up. Diablo was the first game I played on the internet on my own computer. I bought a computer. Here's a fun story. I bought my computer at Walmart. It was a Compact Presario 180, uh, 180 gigahertz, 180 gigahertz, megahertz, whatever it was. It was a 180 Cyrex chip. It wasn't even a Pentium. It was a 180 Cyrex chip. It had 16 megabytes of RAM, two megabytes of which were dedicated to video. Diablo 1 required 16 megabytes of RAM to go online with, so I couldn't play it online. So I went to Walmart, and I had to buy my RAM in pairs, and I bought a pair of, I want to say it was four and four megabytes of RAM, not gigabytes, okay, megabytes, and it was $80 <laughs> to upgrade my computer to play Diablo online. And so Diablo's always had an online ability. So to, to argue that Diablo's a single-player game, or anything, that's that's inaccurate. It's always been a multiplayer game. Uh, if you're in a town and then they start phasing people in like they do in World of Warcraft and stuff, that makes sense to me. You know, we're all kind of in the world. I mean, I guess the one thing that you always thought was that you were the hero. So it's hard when you think you're the hero and then you look around, there's like a million other heroes. But it's what you know that that's how this works i mean you're, you're not special i'm sorry <laughs> there's a there's 15 million people bought diablo 3 so not 15 million people are all the chosen ones you know actually you are all the chosen ones so you're not special sorry sorry not sorry uh so adding social aspects makes sense like there, there's other things you could do that could ruin it if they start doing like oh we're not going to do like like what kind of what rockstar is doing now where oh we're not really going to do story expansions we're only going to do you know, we're not going to do story expansion. We're only going to do online content that you can buy with your Rockstar bucks and all that sort of stuff. I could see that, you know. I could also see there being an online subscription. I said this actually when Diablo 3 came out, and I was wrong, but I'm surprised they didn't do this, and I'd be very surprised if they don't do this with Diablo 4. 
But I think you won't have a World of Warcraft account anymore. You'll have a Blizzard account. And I think that Blizzard account will give you access to their games. So you might still have to buy them, but you'll have one account that lets you play all of their online games together. Now, right now, World of Warcraft is the only one you have to pay for. But I, you know, they could do something like, oh, but if you're a War if you're a Blizzard subscriber, you get, you know, every month you get five loot crates for Overwatch, and you get a, f a mount on her uh, Heroes of the Storm, and you get free packs of cards in Hearthstone, you know. And I think they'll probably end up moving to something like that with Diablo Four because they have to monetize that online somehow. Of course they do, you know. They uh, selling the game for sixty bucks just isn't enough anymore. Um, but uh, it, I'm very curious for the future of Diablo. 2020 feels like a lifetime away, and I really wish it wasn't so far. I wish we could have it tomorrow. But if it's not good and they have to scrap it and start over, then that's better for us in the end, and we just have to learn to accept that. All right, and that's it for the podcast today. Uh, like I said, a little shorter one, but I, I'm just burned, man. I'm not even going to lie. I'm just I'm toast. I'm roasted, and... Uh, it, it was it was awesome. It was great. Black Friday is awesome, but it is a time of the year. It's incredibly stressful. Have a new person starting, training a new employee, is always stressful. But uh, I've got a really solid team, and that helps. So uh, if if you haven't been in the store yet, like I said, stop on in. Um, and if you have been in the store, thank you. I just really appreciate that. And then with all that being said, I also really really appreciate you all listening and watching. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud, you can subscribe on the podcast app. If you go to the podcast app on your iPhone and look for Game Talk Radio. You can find us on there, or if you're on, or if you're on the podcast on iTunes, and for some reason you'd like to listen to it on SoundCloud, you can look that up. It's also under Game Talk Radio, and then of course I do the YouTube channel with my two friends Jeremy and Jordan, and that is Drop Rate. So if you go to YouTube.com/dropRate, you see like a gray and yellow DR logo. That's us, and I'm really proud. We just broke over like 3,500 subs. I think we're about to hit 3,600 actually, and uh, we started about a year ago, a year and a half ago, and we're just keep grinding away. You know, this stuff just takes time and you don't really do it for the money. You just kind of do it because you like to. And I like doing this podcast and then uh, breaking it up for YouTube because it's uh, it's fun. It's fun to talk about things. Um, and uh, with that being said, I appreciate you all as always. Thank you as always for listening. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm either at drop rate Greg or I'm at game trade Greg. Right now I'm rocking game trade Greg because we just got done with our charity stream and it's easier for the people on the radio to find me if I have my name of the store in there. Um, but definitely come check it out. Uh, hit me up on Twitter. You know, I'm always tweeting uh, angrily about the Packers and their terrible performance this season, or I'm tweeting about video game news. So if you like either of those things, come follow me. We'll, and, and I'll give you a follow back. Thank you, everybody, for listening and watching. Everybody have a great day. We'll see you next week. And this was, you know what I didn't say? This is episode 100. I didn't even make a special big deal out of it, but this is episode 100 of Game Talk Radio. So I have made 100 episodes of a podcast, which... Where does that time go? I couldn't tell you. Game Talk Radio has been on the air for two years now. And I only started doing the drop rate about a year and a half ago. So uh, Game Talk Radio came first. And, and that's kind of what I contribute to the drop rate channel. Uh, along with some Let's Plays and stuff. Which I actually really want to get more into. But this podcast I actually enjoy quite a bit. I've always I've always liked the news side of things. But also the, the information sharing side of things. That That's more where I'm at. And that's what I prefer. And... I, I feel like there is an audience out there that is who I'm trying to talk to. And that audience is people who are intelligent and want to hear two sides of an argument, be informed on something, but not get hung up and caught up in all the drama. You know, I mean, I just, I feel like the, the type of consumer I am of media, that there's more people out there like me who want to just listen to somebody talk normal and not just, uh, not try to overemphasize everything and not make everything a, like a, 
not talk about the drama, you know, because there's some people who start off. There's YouTubers out there and, and podcasts out there who they start off as like a, an opinion and then they start like, oh, you know, do you hear what happened to this YouTuber? And then you hear what happened to this YouTuber. And then the, then there are podcasts that's talking about YouTubers fighting with each other. And you're like, well, what happened to the game news side of it? You know, um, which happened to me even a little bit when I was talking about the Billy Mitchell stuff, which is why I made such an active um plea to stop was because it ended up getting to the point of oh you know billy mitchell's trying might sue this youtuber like that it really doesn't have anything to do with games it just has to do with someone who has something to do with games and so you start doing all these stories and you know what those get crazy views and you're like well you know i like getting views but you know i'm always going to want to do the i'm always going to do the content i want to do and if that's not good enough people will stop watching and if it is good enough people will keep watching and i always say that you know i'm always going to do what i want to do and and hopefully y'all come around for the ride so anyway in in any case uh take care everybody i will talk to you next week have a good one bye bye